Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. Let's start today with Ubuntu. We need to talk about Ubuntu and Canonical and Snaps and Flatpak. And if you're getting deja vu from this, don't worry. It was almost exactly a year ago that we had this same conversation. So I want to have an updated version of it. And the basis for this is the whole flavors flat pack thing. We talked about it on Late Night Linux, but you three had opinions on this. So I said, all right, then I'll just listen to what you have to say about it. I just feel like Graham, especially because he's a current employee of an organization and Will were quite soft. Now, I'm not saying they were necessarily completely wrong in what they said, but I do feel they're a little bit soft. And for me, it's about taking a step back and forgetting that it's Linux at all. And looking at if this structure was somewhere else, it's the fact that Ubuntu Mate's 2204 LTS release notes full-fronted Flatpak support out of the box. Flatpak installed. Yes, you had to add FlatHub and then it was ready to go. And then we also had literally a couple of weeks before what's happened, Sean Davis doing a development update for Ubuntu, forefronting Flatpak support out of the box. I just don't believe that they had an amicable meeting where they all agreed and everything was fine, especially because of what had happened. And that's what I look at, regardless of what it is. When you've got someone enthusiastically documenting a development process and forefronting something and then suddenly going, oh, we've all decided that we're not going to do this. I'm just not buying it. Sorry. Well, like we said on Late Night Linux, we actually linked in the show notes to a Mastodon post from Sean and one from Martin, where they basically said that they'd sort of reluctantly agreed to this. And what we're talking about is the flavors have agreed to not ship Flatpak in the images. It's still available in the repos, you can still install it, but it's just not available out of the box for people who install it going forward. It's just that thing where I totally get there are sound technical reasons where you might have installed a flat pack of something and you're looking for support and all the things that Will and Graham said, but at the same time, two flavors, they're not stupid people, <laughs> Sean and Martin. They probably know that and that's what they decided to do with the flavor. And I do think it points to the slightly uneasy hierarchical relationship of what the flavors are. And I think it has changed slightly the way I feel about it because I always felt like it was a goodwill chain that they were basing it on and they wouldn't be interfered with and this just feels really like someone said go and tell them what to do it feels very top down doesn't it it does and i just it just doesn't feel in the spirit of what i would expect really i think that that has happened several times recently or at least two both with this change and with the security team now looking at universe now obviously the security team looking at universe is a lot of work. And answering requests for support for flat packs would also be a lot of work. Although I don't know how much people actually go to Ubuntu support forums looking for support on Ubuntu Mate and never say it. It feels like a bit of a straw man, although it does happen. What I'm really worried about, and I suppose what's just always been and is now just being said, is that Ubuntu users aren't community members anymore. They're unpaying customers. And I think that's always how it's been. You know, there's always been this agreement between Canonical and 
at least individual users, not necessarily companies, that, you know, you get this for free and we're going to make it just because we want to, I guess. Obviously, they wanted to sell professional services to people. It's a little bit more brazen now that individuals and companies are unpaying customers of Ubuntu. And I think that's always been true. I think that it's okay for that to be the case. It's just a change. And the rhetoric that nothing has changed in Ubuntu is obviously false because that's it. Yeah, I think you're right, because I've certainly seen a lot more canonical stands showing up at big industry shows, advertising things like Ubuntu Prey. So they are certainly leaning more towards the kind of business side of things now. And it's just convenient to keep those kind of personal users on board, I think. I'll be interested to see because Zubuntu now are releasing a minimal image. And it's very confusing when you're looking into this because there's the minimal installation option as a checkbox in Ubuntu and the Ubuntu flavors at the moment. But what that does is it installs the full fat one and then pulls out some packages and leaves you with a minimal installation, which is a bit clunky. There's also been an Ubuntu core in the past, and there's an Ubuntu minimal meta package, which does the same thing as the checkbox from the repositories. But now this minimal image, it isn't as small as a CD, but that's the spirit of it from what Sean's saying. It is just Zubuntu without even a web browser. And in that, SnapD is installed, but the daemon isn't running and there are no snaps installed. Not SnapD, not the cores. Now, if you call something from apt that installs the snap, you will get that all spinning up. I wonder <laughs> if that's acceptable. I just wonder if that would be interfered with as well. And just the whole thing feels like people are annoyed and making decisions out of annoyance rather than, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, as I say, it just leaves me with the feeling that rank will be pulled more and more and it makes me a bit uncomfortable and i don't like the maintainers being unhappy one of the things i've been saying recently to one of my friends a lot i don't just pick software and projects to run purely based on what they do if the behavior of the people behind them or the maintainers aren't happy that is important to me they're human beings as well and that starts to make me think about what I'm choosing to run and what decisions I'm going to make. Also, from a selfish point of view, if the maintainers are not happy, then they are much less likely to stick around. And that can't be good for the project. So you want to pick something that has happy maintainers that are having a great time creating this thing that we're all enjoying so that we can enjoy it forever, in theory. Well, much like the boutique distro discussion we had a couple of episodes ago, that's now another thing that I've got to consider when I'm choosing, say, an Ubuntu flavor. Is is the maintainer likely to disappear off the face of the earth because Canonical pull rank on something? I think that in order to become an Ubuntu flavor, though, you have to have a proper governance model. Like I know Ubuntu Mate, uh, Martin's talked a lot about their governance model, how they they've got the bus factor sorted out. You know, it's it's not just going to completely um, fall to pieces if he just disappeared one day but then you know he is the driving force behind it so maybe it would uh, continue without him but certainly not in the same spirit of innovation i don't know maybe that's doing a disservice to the rest of the team because i think that there is a solid team working on it and with the other flavors as well to a greater or lesser extent 
The problem with bus factor discussions is that it assumes that either the main developer is going to leave amicably, or the entire team is still in good shape after they leave, if they don't leave amicably. In this case, what we're seeing is things that could make not only the lead, but many people on the team upset by being pulled rank on, and that's not something that we've really accounted for, I don't think, in bus factor discussions. Yeah, if you remember, one of my hopes for this year was about the upcoming Debian Bookworm release, which was prompted by Martin saying in the interim release notes for Ubuntu Mate that it was a quiet one because he'd been working on getting some of the features of Ubuntu Mate into Debian. And recently I installed an alpha release of Bookworm because it's in hard freeze now, I think. So it's coming up in the summer. And it's just really apparent very quickly the amount of polish that goes into Ubuntu Mate that's missing. Some of it is there, but it's not there out of the box. And even if you install things like the Ayatana indicators and some of the theming, you just don't quite get it over the line once you've done all of that in the same way. That's why I've gravitated towards it. You know, some people do say that's their cry when they, because Canonical get a lot of flack. And I do think some of it is unfair, as does Ubuntu or any of the flavors. And people are like, why don't you just run Debian? You're just, you know, just run Debian. So because of this, because it's not polished, Mate looks the same as it did 10 years ago when you install it out of the box. That's why. I guess in defense of Canonical playing devil's advocate a little bit, they do have a product in Snap, and it is something that they are, as a business, going to inherently want to push. Pushing it on flavors and you know, things that are downstream from them, I don't necessarily agree with. But I guess on the flip side of that, if it's not everywhere and it's not in everything that brands itself Ubuntu, how do they get it out there and how do they get people hacking on it? I think they had this problem with Ubuntu Touch as well. And if you ask anyone who was big in that development scene, they'll say that the problem with things like Unity is that it wasn't on other distributions. Mm. The main problem with all of this is that I feel like Ubuntu is making this bigger rift between this is the stuff that's canonicals and this is the stuff that isn't canonicals, where to actually make Snap be successful on other distributions, canonical needs to be seen as the paragon of Linux. And instead, it's kind of being a renegade here. I'm not sure how to solve this, but I'm pretty sure that being friendlier to things like Flatpak so that things do get developed to make Flatpak and Snap support in the same software center actually work should be a pretty major goal for Canonical. And I'm not seeing that at the moment. And it makes me worry about the future of Snaps. Well, I listened back to episode 15, where we talked about this a year ago. And one of the huge complaints we had was the speed of Snaps, specifically Startup from Cold Boot. And I've got this Vivo book that my wife has got and it's, uh, I think it's the second or third gen i3 with four gigs of soldered RAM and a SATA SSD. So, you know, it's not a terrible laptop. It's not cutting edge. It's, it runs Ubuntu fine. And at the time, the Firefox Snap took 45 seconds to start on that machine. Now it takes about four seconds for something to appear and about nine seconds for it to be ready to open a new tab and start searching for something. That's better than me opening it on Windows on, like, current-gen hardware. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, there you go then. So I'm not too worried about the future of Snap. I think that they are improving it. And I talked about how now it's in the LTS, they'll be forced to fix the issues with it. But there's still issues with smart card readers and stuff, which has been going on for years at this point. But at least with this one thing that we got annoyed with, the startup speed, they fixed that. So who knows? Maybe Snaps are going to be fine. But I agree that they should probably not be actively hostile to Flatpak, like we've seen them being recently. And uh, by they, do I mean they, or do I mean he? Who knows? <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Tailscale. Go to tailscale.com. Tailscale is a VPN service that makes the devices and applications you own accessible anywhere in the world, securely and effortlessly. It enables encrypted point-to-point connections using WireGuard, which means only devices on your private network can communicate with each other. Unlike traditional VPNs, which tunnel all network traffic through a central gateway server, Tailscale creates a peer-to-peer mesh network. It handles complex network configuration on your behalf, so you don't have to. Network connections between devices pierce through firewalls and routers as if they weren't there, so there's no need to manually configure port forwarding. Tailscale is available for Linux, Mac, Windows, Raspberry Pi and ARM, Android, iOS, Synology, and for devices that don't allow additional software to be installed, such as printers and other embedded devices, where you can set up a subnet router to act as a gateway, relaying traffic from your Tailscale network onto your physical subnet. So go to tailscale.com and try it for free on up to 20 devices. That's tailscale.com. Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate it. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxafterdark.net slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Late Night Linux. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxafterdark.net. Let's do some feedback. Joe wrote in regarding our challenges. He said, My suggestion is a Gen 2 speedrun. Install Gen 2 in either KDE or GNOME in the shortest time and post a NeoFetch and a screenshot of the website. Now, funnily enough, we did actually consider this, didn't we? But then we thought, hmm, do we really want to do this? Well, Joe just wins is the problem. Mm. He has more cores than anyone else, so immediately (laughs) wins. But then I am also pretty dumb and have never installed Gen 2. I got about 10 minutes in once with, I think this was with like a P4, 3 gigahertz or something. This must have been 15 years ago. and Warming up the house. Yeah, I realized that this just was not happening and and gave up. So I've never actually done it. Have any of you lot ever done it? Not Gen 2, no. I tried to do it on a Core 2 Duo once. That also didn't go very well. Twice as many causes as Joe had. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The problem with Gen 2, I think, is that it actually does take longer for the computer to do things than it does for the human. So, yes, Joe does just win, as long as he can read the wiki, which I'm pretty sure he can. Yeah, I I just wouldn't have the time to attend to it, I don't think, and the hardware. So one of the things we also talked about is we're in danger with some of the challenges of it just being who had the most time (laughs) in the (laughs) fortnight that we set them out. And that varies depending on what we've been up to. So the nested virtualization challenge i very nearly didn't get to the fourth layer because i'd nearly given up it was right at the death where i managed to find a way to continue so it's a nice idea but i don't know if we would be able to follow it through and we did have a bunch of different ideas for these stupid challenges but then ultimately that nested virtualization one made us realize that it takes a lot of time and 
you know, we talked about it for about, what, 10 minutes on the episode. And how many person hours went into that with the four of us? I spent a good two or three hours on it. And I'm sure that you lot must have done something similar. Yeah. But if anyone has got suggestions for challenges, just think about what could be funny, interesting to talk about, not just be who's got the fastest machine and also not take too long. We're looking for a unicorn here, aren't we, of a challenge. <laughs> but uh, if you've got great ideas, then do send them in. As I said, show at linuxafterdark.net. Sam said, for a Raspberry Pi alternative, look at Zimmerboard or Zimmerboard. Easy choice comparing anything to ARM. Now, this looks really interesting to me. This is a Celeron-based x86 single-board computer with a choice of a couple of different Celerons on it and either 2, 4, or 8 gigabytes of RAM and then either 16 or 32 gigabytes of storage and a TDP of 6 watts. So it is in Raspberry Pi territory, but instead of needing custom images for everything, it's just an x86 board. And it's even got a couple of SATA ports on it as well. So this does look very, very interesting. I'm immediately annoyed by their marketing. Goodbye network latency. Goodbye cloud bills. Goodbye broken IoT. No, not for me. <laughs> I'm intrigued because it looks like one of those combs you clip on a set of electric clippers to shave your head. Yeah, that, the guard things, like number one and number two and all that, yeah. So you just ask for what grade you want for your uh, computing power. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a little laptop here which has an N3350 in it. And given the TDP, it's not bad, you know. What I would say is it's $160. So it's decent. It depends what you want. It's got two gigabit NICs as well. And I remember when it came out because it was a Kickstarter. I did look at it. But still, I mean, you can get thin clients with this specification for a lot cheaper <laughs> second hand they usually don't have two nicks in them but depending on what the form factor is you can get a second nick in them can you how do you do that then well if they have a pcie slot quite often they'll have like a 90 degree riser and then you can put any kind of nick that you would put in a desktop machine some of the fujitsu futro thin clients but i mean then they start to push the form factor yeah because that doesn't seem feasible in terms of size because those thin clients are very small generally yeah this is the thing it is interesting to me this little board and i have seen it before so i'm not ruling it out if i manage to get hold of one one day i'd like to have a play with it because it's decently specced as you said joe it's $200 for the 8 gigabyte version with 32 gigabytes of eMMC storage. So that is quite expensive for the power you get, but it is a nice little form factor, passively cooled with that hair clipper style heatsink. And the tunics, it, I think that you are paying a bit of a premium for the spec and you could just pick up an old laptop or old desktop or something. But uh, I would love to play with one, but I'm not going to pay $160 or $200 for one, I think is the bottom line. The biggest limitation I see on boards like this, and it's very similar to the Raspberry Pi, is still storage. So we mentioned earlier in the year that I'd hoped to use the M1 Mac Mini as a home server and ran into the storage limitation very quickly. And this is going to be very similar, isn't it? So they advertise running NextCloud and all sorts of other stuff on it. But ultimately, you're going to end up with USB disks hanging off the back of it or something mounted over NFS. It has SATA ports. It has two SATA ports, doesn't it? But then one of them is going to be an SSD and then one spinning disk. That's not really ideal, is it? No, it does. But then you're losing the form factor of it, right? Hmm. In those kind of thin clients and one liter PCs, at least I can put 
in a lot of the Dell ones, an NVMe and a SATA SSD, and it doesn't look like Frankenstein's monster sitting on my dining room table. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that was the thing. I remember Jim talking about that Odroid toaster form factor, two, three and a half inch uh, Odroid thing, that, yeah. the HC4. And I'd seen people break it out of its little plastic box, but then it just feels a bit, like Gary said, it's a bit Frankenstein. So I'm not dismissing it and writing it off. As I say, when the Kickstarter came out, I was very intrigued by it, especially because it's got two nicks. And I'm always interested in stuff like that as a router. As long as you've got two nicks, then you can put the one in one and then break out another one to some kind of managed switch. And you've got a nice little setup there and not much space. So intrigued, but not sold is my verdict, like Joe. Yeah, if they want to send us one for free, then we'll happily review it, but I don't think we're going to be spending our cold, hard-earned cash on it just yet. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. Remember, show at linuxafterdark.net if you want to send any feedback. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. Do not get COVID. It sucks. (laughs) See you later.